This morning, we are stepping out of the upper room and stepping into the book of Acts. If you want to join me in Acts chapter 9, that's where we'll be landing this morning. Uh, Today, we are going to be looking at one of the most incredible moments in one of the most incredible people uh, who has ever lived. This man that we're looking at this morning is named Saul, better known maybe to you as the Apostle Paul, but he had a life-changing experience on a normal day that set his life in a direction that he could never have imagined. And today, we're going to look at this uh, very specific event, this very specific day in the life of Saul, and see how Saul, the persecutor of the church, turned into Saul, the on-fire, passionate missionary for Christ. And so Acts chapter 9 is where we will be landing. Um, the book of Acts, really what it does is it, it follows the early church. So we've been in the upper room here looking at Jesus' kind of uh, last moments before the cross. Uh, the cross, Jesus died. A few days later, he was resurrected and he walked the earth for a few days. After he left, uh, he set his disciples on mission. And these disciples went out and they established the church of Christ. Acts records these disciples going out, and honestly, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty rocky start, the establishment of the early church, and they came up against all sorts of obstacles. They came up against all sorts of problems, and one of the biggest obstacles they came up against was this man named Saul. And so a little background on this guy that we're going to be looking at this morning. And I want us to pay special attention to uh, some of the background of this man's life because, because it's going to highlight for us the sovereignty of God and the plan that God had to spread the gospel to all corners of the world. So let's look at Saul the man. Who was this guy? If you had read through the book of Acts by the time you had gotten to Acts chapter 9, you would have already been introduced to Saul, the man. Saul has already been introduced to us, and the first kind of understanding, the first kind of peek into who he is that we get, Saul is a passive participant in the stoning of Stephen. Now, Stephen was a disciple of Jesus Christ, and Stephen was in Jerusalem, and he was preaching uh, to the Jews there, and he proclaimed that uh, all of the Old Testament was fulfilled in this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And then he went a step further and he started pointing fingers at some of the Jewish leaders and said, this was your fault. This was the man that you killed. And they didn't take so kindly to that. Um, So they dragged him out of the city. And Stephen was the first martyr of the church that we know of. And as uh, men went by to throw stones at Stephen, they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. This is our first introduction to the man Saul. We find out a lot more about him throughout the book of Acts, and we find out a lot more about him, not to spoil the ending too much, but in the many, many New Testament books that Saul wrote, we learn a lot about this guy. But a few Uh, things about his background. Saul was born in the city of Tarsus, which is in Turkey, modern-day Turkey today, and he was born around the same time that Jesus was born. 
Tarsus was uh, a Roman-controlled city, and it was a center of trade. And so the first thing that we want to see, the first thing that I want, to see, I want us to see in, in Saul's background is that Saul would have grown up learning to speak Greek. So Saul spoke Greek. Saul speaks Greek. This is the first thing that I kind of want us to see this morning. He was born in this trade city. He learns the language that they speak. More than that, Saul was also born a Roman citizen. Saul was also born a Roman citizen. And now this was a special kind of moniker. Not everybody could be a citizen of Rome. And at first, uh, Roman citizenship was actually just reserved for the people who were actually born in the actual city of Rome. Like in Italy, if you were born in the city, then you would be considered a Roman citizen. But as they started conquering lands and as they went out, they realized that, well, hey, people are having children in cities that are not Rome. Well, we we maybe need to confer citizenship on them as well. But it is very unlikely, very unlikely that Saul and his family were of Roman citizenship kind of descended because of their Jewish heritage. It just wasn't very likely that this was how Saul got his Roman citizenship. Instead, what's more likely is that Saul's dad or his grandfather or his great-grandfather somewhere down the line did something significant for uh, the Roman Empire. And they gifted to Saul's family this Roman citizenship. So they like gifted it to him. They said, you're a citizen. You're one of us. You can have all of the you know, accoutrements that come with being a Roman citizen. And so the second thing that we find, he speaks Greek. He's also a Roman citizen. The last thing I want us to note here is that more than speaking Greek, more than a Roman citizen, Saul is a Jew. Saul is a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Acts 22 records Saul preaching to a mob of Jews in the city of Jerusalem. And this is what he says about himself. Saul says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers. And so what we learn about Saul here is that he was raised a Jew. Not only was he raised a Jew, but he was taught under uh, strict Jewish law kind of like the Pharisees. And so all of this kind of leads to a very unique and interesting person. Not only does Saul speak Greek, but Saul also speaks Aramaic or Hebrew. And this is the guy that we're looking at today. Saul is this uh, bilingual, kind of dual citizenship, crazy passionate for Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament kind of person. He is, he's uniquely gifted. He's uniquely gifted. And we're going to see how he uses these unique gifts to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. So let's hop in here to Acts 9. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2 to look at Saul the persecutor. Looking at Saul the persecutor. Acts 9, 1 and 2 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters, to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So here we have 
Saul. He is trying to get to the city of Damascus to do something significant for, uh, for the Lord, for Yahweh in his mind. But why was Saul so opposed to, why was he so angry at the church of Jesus Christ? It says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And really kind of at bottom, what, what Saul believed was that the Jewish uh, faith had a cancer. And this cancer were the followers of Jesus Christ. Why? Why did he hate the followers of Jesus Christ so much? And this is why. He believed uh, that they were a cancer because they believed in a crucified Messiah. Because they believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and then that this guy went and was crucified. This is why he hated them so much. Why? Because this would make no sense in Saul's mind. Saul would have like no category for understanding why a Messiah would be crucified. Why the, uh, the Christ would be crucified. And this understanding for Saul comes from his kind of knowledge of the Old Testament. He would have read and understood in Deuteronomy 21. There's a passage there that says, Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And this would, in Saul's mind, include somebody who was crucified. Well, in Saul's mind also, the Messiah or the Christ is somebody who is uniquely blessed by God the Father. And so this is a, this is a total paradox. It's a total contradiction in Saul's mind. How could somebody who is uniquely blessed by God the Father at the same time be a cursed man that hangs on the tree? It, it didn't mesh. It didn't, it didn't click in, in Saul's mind. There was no category for this. He believed that Jesus can't be the Messiah because he was crucified. And we know, followers of Jesus Christ, that this is how it had to be, that this is what Jesus was pushing for always, that this is what the Old Testament was fulfilling, that Christ had to be cursed for us. But Saul didn't understand this. This was worse than misbelief for Saul. This was, this was taboo. This was uh, immoral. This was wrong. All of the laws and customs, all of the festivals and the traditions, everything of value in Judaism was under threat by the disciples of Jesus Christ. And this is why he hated the church. So what does Saul do? Saul sees this cancer, he sees this sickness, and what does he do? Does he uh, stand idly by like he did at the stoning of Stephen? No, Saul has grown. Saul is more mature than that, right? He would use his unique gifting, his unique context, to hunt down and cut out this cancer. He could speak multiple languages. He could travel the Roman Empire safely to have uh, uh, safe passage through the empire. And his passion would let him do things that other people wouldn't. And so Paul, Saul takes his gifts and he orients them against the church of Jesus Christ. And he goes to Damascus. He travels north from Jerusalem. And it says he goes to Damascus in search of men and women who followed the teaching of Jesus. And so what he does first is that he uses his connections to get uh, a note of extradition from the high priest. 
so that he could take this note from the high priest in Jerusalem. He would give it to the synagogues in Damascus. And if anybody was in Damascus that had, if there were Jews in Damascus that had fled from Jerusalem, uh, Saul would have the authority to take them back to Jerusalem in order to stand trial. And so Saul probably took uh, a few guys from the temple, maybe like a temple police sort. He has his letters from the high priest, and he goes off to Damascus to do the Lord's work. And he has no idea what's in store for him. Let's keep going here in the story. Acts 9, verse 3 says, Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly... A light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. An incredible moment in Saul's life. And, and I want us to take a minute here to think about uh, Saul's mental state. Let's think about Saul's mental state before seeing Jesus. Saul was headed to Damascus, absolutely sure of his rightness, absolutely sure of his moral high ground. He was confident that he was doing the Lord's work as he went on his way to Damascus. The verse before has one of the earliest descriptions of Christianity. It says that there are men and women who follow the way. And, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting description. And I don't know if there was uh, like a brand meeting for the disciples as they kind of wanted to brand themselves. Like, hey, we need something catchy, something short, something that people are going to understand. And somebody throws out, hey, how about the way? They're like, no, just way. What's that? The, the Facebook. No, just Facebook, Right? It's the way, and this is kind of the earliest description of Christianity that we have. And it's a really interesting one, and I think it highlights this idea that there are, there are different paths to follow in life. And this, this idea of two paths to follow shows up all over Scripture. You even look at the wisdom literature in Psalm or in Proverbs, and there's often the way of righteousness, and you have the way of foolishness, these two paths that you can choose to go down. One is of the Lord, and the other is not, but this way is how early Christianity was described. That's how it's described in verse 3. And I want to notice here in verse 4, it says that Saul went on his way. Saul went on his way. Saul's way was marked by threats and murder. Saul's way was marked by anger and fear. Saul's way was marked by the misuse of his gifts and talents, and Saul's way led him to Damascus with evil intentions. But it was precisely along Saul's way that Jesus interrupted. And, and I want to pause here for a moment in this story to look at 
the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God is all over the book of Acts. But over and over again in Scripture, you see God's plan being worked out in desperate situations. In terrible circumstances, God's plan still works out. You can, uh, you can look at the promise of the Savior way back in Genesis. Adam and Eve fall. There's a curse, but God provides a way out. You could, you could look at the nation of Israel in Exodus. Desperate circumstances, but God's plan prevails. Or you could look at the clearest example, at the cross of Jesus Christ, right? And we find that in all of these situations, in all of these circumstances, the bottom line, what we understand is that God's plan will. That God's plan will, no matter what you come up against, no matter what the church of Jesus Christ comes up against, God's plan will move forward. There is nothing that is going to stop it. And this is true of God calling his own people. This is true of God calling his own children. We see here in in Acts chapter 9 a small picture of Jesus' heart for the individual and the resurrection power of his will. What we find here in Acts chapter 9 is that there is nothing that will stop Jesus from claiming his own. There is nothing that will stop Jesus from claiming his own. Let's think about Saul here. Literally antagonistic to the church. A hater of the church of Jesus Christ and everything that he represents. Saul is on mission to destroy the people of God. He's using all of his pedigree, all of his knowledge, all of his skills, all of his ability to tear down what Jesus Christ is trying to build up. But not even Saul's own antagonism can stop Jesus from working in his life. And I want to bring this this moment into the room here. I want this to be an encouragement to those of us that are in this room who are praying for the salvation of someone that they love. This is an encouragement for us and a reminder that nothing will stop God from claiming his own. It is a hard and demoralizing place to be, to pray for the salvation of someone year after year after year, praying that God would soften a person's heart. And you might be sitting here in this room right now feeling Like the Lord will never answer your prayer or that this person's heart is too hard. It will never be softened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want us to be encouraged and be reminded by the story of Saul. Do you know who cares for the heart of the person you're praying for more than you do? Do you know who desires the glory of God in the person you're praying for more than you do? It's the person of Jesus Christ. God cares deeply, endlessly for the person that you are praying for. Not only does he care, but Jesus Christ actually has the power to awaken faith in the heart of that person. Because if Jesus calls someone, he will claim them. If Jesus calls someone, he will claim them. And just as Jesus can change the heart of Saul, he can change our hearts today. And so we keep praying 
right? We keep praying and we keep showing these people Jesus because that is what's going to change a heart, right? Seeing Jesus as Savior. Seeing Jesus revealed in your life. And so the question is, how does Jesus reveal himself in our lives or in the life of the person that you are praying for? And in this passage, there are three ways that Jesus reveals himself and three ways that he continues to reveal himself to us and to others through us. Let's look at these three different ways. Three ways that Jesus reveals himself here in Acts chapter 9. And the first is this. Jesus reveals himself by the light of his glory. Jesus reveals himself by the light of his glory. It reads in verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Jesus shows up in Saul's life in power, in glory, in majesty, in an incredibly miraculous way. And honestly, it was probably the only way that Jesus could have shown up in Saul's life that Saul would have paid attention to, right? Before his ascension, Jesus' ascension in in Matthew 28, uh, Jesus appeared to a lot of his disciples. He appeared to a lot of people uh, in kind of a resurrected bodily form. But then after his ascension in in Matthew 28, uh, Jesus is no longer here on the earth. Jesus sent his disciples to be his representations on the earth. And so Jesus ended kind of his bodily walking the earth. And he appears to Saul here, not in an earthly body, but in a glorified way. He appears to him in a blinding light. God revealed himself to Saul in a way that Saul couldn't ignore. It was physical, it was powerful, and it drove him to the ground. Sometimes Jesus reveals himself by the light of his glory in incredible ways, in miraculous ways. This might be your story. You might have been backed into a corner of your own decisions until Jesus showed up in a way that you could not ignore, and he still reveals himself this way. Jesus sits enthroned over all creation right now. All power, all glory, all majesty are, are, are accorded to the person of Jesus Christ, and he shows up powerfully in our lives, and one day he will return in this same glory and majesty and power. We are waiting expectantly for that, and And today and in Saul's life and in the future, we see that Jesus reveals himself by the light of his glory. That's the first way that Jesus reveals himself to Saul and to us. The second way that Jesus reveals himself is by the light of his truth. By the light of his truth. The passage goes on and says, this is Saul, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so here Saul is uh, laying on a dusty road, blinded by this light, hearing a voice, seeing in some way the person of Jesus Christ. He has no idea who it is. He doesn't even really know where it is coming from. And Saul asks uh, a fair question, who are you? right? Like, who is this? What is happening right now? 
And I guarantee that the answer that Saul gets here in this moment was more shocking, more blinding than the light that Jesus revealed himself in. Remember, Saul's biggest opposition to the followers of Jesus is that they held up a crucified person as the Son of God. They held up a crucified person as the Messiah. Saul had absolutely no category. He had no box in his mind to hear the words, Who are you? I am Jesus. Had no category for this. What ran through Saul's mind in this moment? You could think, like, what would you think? Lying there on the ground, seeing this blinding light, what's running through Saul's mind? Saul's probably going back and say, that can't be right. That can't be true, right? Jesus is dead. Jesus was dead. That was all a hoax. The disciples stole his body. This cannot be Jesus of Nazareth. But here we see that his thoughts were being confronted by reality. And it is the great theologian Sherlock Holmes that said, when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And this truth that, that Saul was faced with, it broke him. It broke him. He did not eat or drink. He might not even have spoken for the next three days. And there's a lot wrapped up here in Jesus' short statement, I am Jesus. In John 8, uh, we see Jesus, he's, he's uh, giving a teaching, he's teaching to the Pharisees, and they're frustrated with him, they're not understanding what he has to say, and at the end of uh, it, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And this little statement by Jesus, it almost got him stoned, it got him run out of town, almost got Jesus killed. Why? Why? Well, wrapped up in this I am statement, we go all the way back to the book of Exodus where Moses sees Yahweh, sees God in a burning bush. And God gives him a, a plan, a mission, and Moses says, you know, who am I supposed to say that you are? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And God replies, tell them I am sent you. And so wrapped up in this little I am statement is divinity, is power, is glory, all wrapped up kind of in this statement. And, and Jesus in John 8 carries all of that meaning into his statement. That's why the Jews were so mad, to, mad at him. And this I am Jesus statement carries all of the same weight, all of the same glory, all of the same divinity into the statement that Jesus gives to Saul. I am Jesus. He's not just saying, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying, I am God. And this is where Saul's way of viewing the world falls apart. It's a, it's a simple statement of truth. I am Jesus. I am God, but it changes everything that Saul, Saul stood for, and it reorients everything that he is doing, right? Now his journey to Damascus is not for God, it is against God. And this is how a small understanding of a major truth can change our lives. If you have ever 
uh, wondered if believing that Jesus is the Son of God can really change your life. If, if you've ever wondered if believing that statement can change your life, look at Saul. Look at Saul. But Jesus doesn't just stop here. He goes on revealing truth in Saul's life. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. What we find here is the heart of Jesus for his people, the heart of Jesus for the church. Because in this statement, we see that persecution of Jesus is persecution of the church. And persecution of the church is persecution of Jesus. The, the metaphor, the illustration that Scripture often gives for Jesus and the church is marriage, right? Jesus and the church are connected just as a husband and a wife are connected. And in a healthy marriage, a, a husband and a wife, they, you know, we celebrate our successes together and, and we commiserate on the difficulties together. We are a single unit. You are one flesh and if you have a problem with my wife, then you have a problem with me, right? And if you have a problem with me, then you have a problem with my wife. That's kind of how marriage works. And this is exactly what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus calls out Saul's sin. Jesus names it. He brings it into the light. The first sin that Saul has Saul did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. The second sin that is brought out, Saul was actively persecuting the church. And then the third sin that Saul had that was brought into the light, that Saul was using his gifts and his talents in a way that dishonored the Lord. Because, because Jesus gives him a new mission here. He says, rise and enter the city and then I'm going to tell you what to do. I think this is a really interesting moment in the life of Saul, and we learn a lot from it here. Because Jesus was, Jesus was well in his rights to kill Saul on the Damascus road, right? Jesus was well in his rights to kill Saul in the Damascus road. And honestly, we might have still had record of that in Acts. You know, you could, you could have believed, this could have gone like this. Acts 9, verse 1. Uh, Look how the Lord protects his own. As Saul was going to the city of Damascus, he was run over by a camel. The Lord protects his own. Like, you could see that being in Scripture, right? Maybe not the camel. I don't know. This could have been, Saul could have been uh, an insignificant footnote in Scripture. Could have been an insignificant footnote in the story of redemption. But God had such a better plan for his life. He could have thrown Saul away, right? He could have done that well within his rights to kill him. Or Jesus could have told Saul exactly what his life was going to look like there on the Damascus Road in the blinding light. As he listened to Jesus, Jesus could have said, hey, look, Saul, here's what's going to happen. You're going to rise and you're going to go into the desert for a really long time. You're going to come back. You're going to get into some scuffles with the disciples. You're going to go out and you're going to plant dozens of churches. You're going to live on mission for me. And then you're going to go to Rome and you're going to die in Rome. He could have told them all that right there on the Damascus road. 
but he doesn't. He says, rise and enter the city, and then I'll tell you the next part of your story. And I think sometimes God wishes that we would, or we wish that God would show us the whole plan, right? God, I want to know the end. I want to know the beginning. I want to know all the steps in between. And, and God rarely gives this to us. Instead, what he calls us to is faithful obedience in the next step. He called Saul to faithful obedience in the next step. What next step is God asking you to take? What moments of obedience right now is he calling you to? Because following Jesus is as hard and it's as easy as this. Follow Jesus right now. Not in the future, not in the past, but take this next step of obedience here and now. And we string enough of these together and we're going to find that our lives change immeasurably, just like Saul's did. And so Saul gets up from the ground with the help of the other guys that are with him, but he is blind. Saul, who is about to enter the city of Damascus in power, right, with papers from the high priest ready to do the work of the Lord, now has to be led into the city. And this is what our God can do. This is what our God can do. Not only did he protect the church in Damascus from Saul, but he also did an incredible work awakening faith in the life of Saul all at the same time. And now in the city of Damascus, there's one last person. There was a follower of Jesus named Ananias. And he shows us the last way that Jesus reveals himself. So Jesus reveals himself by the light of his glory. He reveals himself by the light of his truth. The last way in this story that Jesus reveals himself is by the light of his people. Passage, passage says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And Ananias is sitting there in the city and he receives a very, very strange vision from God. God tells him to go out and I want you to go to a house and I want you to find a man named Saul and I want you to put your hands on him so that he might see again. Now the problem is that uh, Saul's reputation has preceded him to Damascus and Ananias already knows about Saul of Tarsus. Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is looking at God and saying, are you sure? Shouldn't we just leave him blind? Isn't that better? God? No? You see, Ananias was not told about Saul's change of heart. He wasn't told about his encounter with Christ on the Damascus road. Ananias was uh, probably rightly afraid, rightly concerned, rightly questioning God's choice of children. It says, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God has a plan for Saul's life. And I wonder how many of, how many of us 
are uh, aware of know people who are like Saul, who are antagonistic to the church, who are haters of the body of Christ, who has as far from following Jesus as Saul was. And I wonder what our response would be if that person claimed to believe that Jesus is Lord. What would your response to that person be? Maybe bring them to mind and and consider if they had an experience like this. What would your response be? Would we allow them to be part of the church? Would we let them in, but would we keep our distance? Or would we, like Ananias, accept them in the miraculous body of Jesus Christ when Ananias goes to Saul, puts his hands on him, and says, Brother, right? This man who is a persecutor is now my brother because of the work of Jesus in his life. And each of us, just like Ananias, has the opportunity to be part of somebody's transformation story just by our willingness to accept that God works miracles in others just as he worked a miracle in my own life. We get to be a part of welcoming somebody into the family of God. And then we get to be a part of watching that somebody do something for God. Because this is what happened in Saul's life. Saul went from um, the persecutor to a broken man to Saul the missionary. Saul the missionary. God has a specific plan for Saul's life, right? He was a chosen, it says he was a chosen instrument meant to carry the name of the Lord to Gentiles, and this is important, Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I want us to go back to Saul's background. I want us to go back to Saul's background here. Instead of using his gifts and talents to persecute the church. Now Saul is going to use his gifts and talents for the expansion of the kingdom of God, right? It's like uno reverse card on Saul's heart here. Your gifts are now God's gifts to use. And I love this because God was preparing Saul for this very mission to the Gentiles, to kings, to Jews, well before Saul had any idea who Jesus was. Remember, Saul was a bilingual, kind of dual citizenship holding super passionate person. He was born in Tarsus, which means uh, he could relate to and he could speak Greek. Who better to go to the Gentiles? He was a Roman citizen by birth. Who better to travel and go through the Roman kingdom? Remember, he he was raised in Jerusalem. It says he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. We look at God's mission for Saul. God wants Saul to carry the name of the Lord to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people, to kings in the Roman Empire, and to the children of Israel. Who better than Saul to do this? Saul had no idea what God was preparing him for. And he had no idea of the danger and the suffering that lay ahead for him. Saul was an incredible person. And he had a unique encounter with Christ. I think for us, there are a few things that we learn here from Acts chapter 9 and Saul's story. And the first thing that I want us to to know is that there are Saul's in this room. Know that there are Saul's in this room. You might think that this kind of story doesn't happen anymore, but there are men 
and women here in this room who at one point in their life were antagonistic to the church, who were haters of the person of Jesus Christ, and then they met Jesus, right? It might not have been in a blinding light on a dirt road, but they met Jesus in some way, and it changed their life forever. God is still working to turn angry and hateful people into heartfelt worshipers of him. And this also comes with an encouragement to continue praying for those who are far from God. You have no idea. We never know what God might do in the heart of a person. So know that there are souls in this room. The second thing is to use your gifts and talents. Paul was uniquely gifted for a specific role. And what I want us to realize is that even if you are not a bilingual, dual citizenship, crazy passionate kind of holding person, you are uniquely gifted too. And God has a plan and a purpose and a mission for your life. How can you be used for the kingdom of God, right? Jesus did not die and save you for you to sit on your hands. He did not die and save you for you to think that you can't do anything for the kingdom. How are you living on mission like Paul? The last thing I want us to consider is how is Christ revealing himself to you and others? Do you see Jesus in the same way that Saul saw him on the road to Damascus, in glory and power? How is Jesus revealing himself in glory and power in your life? Or what truth is, is God revealing to your heart, and how are you responding? And then lastly, are you welcoming people into the body of Christ like Ananias? We know that there are souls in this room and we have gifts and talents to use and we need to consider and continue to see how God is revealing himself to us and to others. One theologian writes that the conversion and apostleship of St. Paul alone, duly considered, was of itself a demonstration sufficient to prove Christianity to be a divine revelation. Something happened to Saul on the Damascus Road. It was one ordinary day that changed his life forever. And what was it that broke Saul's heart? It was the glory of Jesus Christ. It was the truth of his gospel. And it was the community of his saints. Amen and amen.